Holy moly. That's going to be the phrase of the day. Holy cow. We've got, we've got holy cow, also the phrase also of the day. Also a reference of the um, um, <laughs> Almost. We, uh, great googly moogly. Uh, that's from an old Snickers commercial. Um, <laughs> we've got a show for you today. Uh, kids, oh, yeah. and and I mean kids in like the the spiritual father sense, like mm. like I'm I'm you are the sheep, and we are the shepherds, um, or something. Yeah, the um, yeah the past hour of this interview you're about to hear is is oh. me sitting next to a very big kid in the conversation with with our guest here. Yes, yeah, yeah. I had <laughs> I had a great time. So so um, clearly our, our our conversation with uh, Mr. Rob Bell uh, stirred up some conversation. <laughs> Um, and, and that was a bit disappointing only because we, we have tried to be really clear on the fact that uh, we think there's a whole lot out there that's worth listening to, even if discernment has to be used. And it's just a lot easier for people uh, to label someone bad, her- heretical, and just tune them out. And why would you give them a platform? Um, and, and, and yet they're, they're ancient writers who are always advocating, you've got to listen to your heretics because they're pointing out things, uh, that people are really thinking and wrestling with things that people are really wrestling with. So, so I, I was thrilled with the interview we had with Rob. Uh, we're going to have an interview with another very controversial person today, Dr. Greg Boyd, um, who's a pastor of Woodland Church out of Minnesota. He just wrote a book called the crucifixion of the warrior God, and it is a doozy, of a way to wrestle through the violent portraits of God in the Old Testament and try to reconcile them with Jesus in a way where those violent portraits actually point to the beauty of the crucified Christ. So he's not just <laughs> he's not just trying to say, oh, these aren't so bad. No, he's actually saying, no, these are horrific. Um, and they can't be reconciled with Jesus. So there's there's something else God's doing behind them. Yeah. That points to what God did um, uh, in, uh, you know, God and Jesus did on the cross. And so get your thinking caps on, man. It is, this is deep, deep theology today. This is like, you know, there's Mike and, and which is, which is sort of, you know, um, uh, I, what's, uh, it would be like listening to an audio book written by a children's author. Okay, that's that's listening to me is the equivalent of that <laughs> versus listening to Greg, who is the equivalent of listening to Einstein, you know, working out, working out the theory of relativity <laughs> or something. Um, yeah, it's it's really good stuff. Uh, for So for those of you that that and you tell me this, that you put us on like one point five speed. Uh, like times and a half speed. Don't. Yeah, that might be tough on this um, one. Because <laughs> uh, Mr. Boyd is a fast thinker yeah. and talker. So, I, but I, and I even think like for those of you out there that kind of aren't of the Bible fan, but are looking at this popular conversation oh and goodness. trying to reconcile some You're of these bigger thoughts this. of the yeah the, the violent pictures of God in the Old Testament. I mean, this is there's and and. And this isn't going to answer everything, but I think that a lot of these nuggets give you interesting starting points right. that can say, okay, if, right. I, if I take that somewhere and I go into here, where, where does that take me? I mean, yep. and that's that's the integrity you kind of have to hold. So like, so like we say, I mean, there isn't anybody you should listen to that you shouldn't listen with discernment. So, so it's whether it's Mike, John MacArthur, Greg Laurie, you know, um, Beth Moore. 
um, uh, Christine Kane. I mean, you all, we're always discerning. We're always discerning, but that's hard work. It's just easier to label people and to just tune, hear the good people, hear the bad people. We totally want to escape that binary. We are not fans of that binary at all. And uh, because I know my heart and I'm, I, I am utterly sure I'm wrong on things. I just don't know which things I'm wrong on yet. Mm. So working on that. Um, but we, um, but we're very interested in people who are, who are speaking to issues that people have. So, so, uh, without further ado, um, uh, Dr. Greg Boyd and, uh, and giddy up, right? Gird, as the scriptures say, gird your loins. (laughs) (laughs) So here we go. Dr. Gregory Boyd. We are so happy to see you. Now, would you want us to call you Doctor Greg Gregory, uh, my friend? Uh, what do you What do you want to go by? Call me anything but a jerk. Okay. Okay, <laughs> I can do that. Um, Greg is fine. <laughs> okay, Greg is fine. I I, I am uh, so excited to have this conversation. Thanks for being with us. We just had Rob Bell oh, on last week. We just had Rob Bell on last week talking about. Um, his uh, his new book on the Bible, and I'm very wow. very interested in to get your thoughts on his thoughts. I did. Uh, I just finished that book. You I did. Like, uh, yeah. Two days ago. Perfect, because he's got he's got some stuff on violence that pr- provides a slightly different um, uh-huh. take on uh, on it than you do. So sure, so sure. just for for folks. Um, uh, you're a pastor. You've taught at Bethel Seminary for years and years and years. Your new book is called Crucifixion of the Warrior God, Volume 1 and Volume 2. And there's a popular version of this coming out in August, correct? Right, right. It's called Cross Vision. Cross Vision. Uh, and how long is that one? Because Crucifixion of the Warrior God's like 1,400 pages. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the, uh, this one's, uh, the popular version's much shorter. It'll be 250 or so pages. And yeah, big, so and big much- font? Big font? Yeah, and pictures and everything. Yes, it's, it's. yeah, killer graphics, please. Yeah. So, the, so the book deals specifically with the problem of the violent portraits of God in the Old Testament, right? And right. but but yet in dealing with that, you kind of you you have to deal with the whole scriptures, um, and you 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 have some very very interesting things to say. So what I what I'd love to do is is just to start with. Um, if you were, you know, sitting across from somebody in your church who's new to the Bible, um, new new to church, they don't have the, you know, the theological background, and they and they are really, really perplexed. I mean, literally, the Bible is a stumbling block for them to believe in Christ. Instead of an encouragement, it is sure. now a stumbling block, mm-hmm. and particularly sure, sure. the genocidal portraits of God. How do you start that conversation uh, with them? Well, I start by saying, uh, uh, from beginning to end, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, he, he's the full revelation of God. He's exactly what God is like. He's the radiance of God's glory, uh, the exact likeness of his very essence, Hebrews 1, 3 says. Yep. Um, and, and so uh, he says, if you see me, you see the Father. So uh, d- don't, d- don't try to derive your view of God based on what the whole Bible says about God. Um, it, it's it's not, not like a, a flat book where every every portrait of God supposed to have equal authority. Uh, rather, the way the New Testament presents it is that Jesus trumps everything else. Uh, it, it, as in contrast to what they had in the past, Jesus is the full, complete, definitive revelation of God's character down to His very essence. And, and especially, you find that character revealed on the cross. That's why Jesus says that He glorifies the Father when He's lifted up on the cross. This is. God, God is love, and love is defined by the cross. First John three sixteen. Yeah. And so, yeah, God is is the cross reveals God down to His very, very essence. But, but That's the most important thing. But uh, 
No butts. So, you don't so, have any butts. No, okay. Okay. That's, that's, that's I have, it. I have big butts. Period. Full stop. I have big butts. <laughs> Um, uh, let's say, um, and I'll just, I'll take the role of our imaginary friend. Um, but, but didn't Jesus say that he came to fulfill the old Testament and wasn't his view of the old Testament, a very high view of the old Testament, that these were actually the words of God. So, so are you advocating a view of the Bible that Jesus himself didn't hold now? Again, no, no, I, I've just upped the intellectual quotient of our imaginary friend here, but, um, because uh, uh, I, he's a smart imaginary friend. Yes. <laughs> You're raising the, the, the right question. I mean, this is the conundrum that, that, uh, that, that the crucifixion of the warrior God is, is addressing. Yes. It, it's on the one hand, Jesus himself endorses the old Testament as the, the word of God. Uh, quotes it and you know considers it authoritative, um, and since I have good reasons for thinking he's the son of God, I don't want to correct his theology on that. I feel obliged <laughs> to embrace this. All right. Yep. Uh, on the other hand, that 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 very Old Testament has portraits of God that that fundamentally contradict what he reveals about God. Um, like, and what what's an example? Worse, what makes this even worse is that Jesus says that all of that scripture is supposed to be about him. Right. So it's mm. it's supposed to point to him. Right. Um, and especially towards the sufferings on the cross, Luke 24. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's the conundrum. Uh, I, have to, I have to embrace it, and yet I can't embrace it. Um, and so uh, what, I, what I did is I, I tried to defend it for a long time. I, in fact, 10 years ago when I went to write this book, right. uh, I, I planned on you know, giving all the reasons why God had to tell his people to slaughter them all. And, and why he did all these other heinous things. Um, and, and when I gathered together all those nasty portraits of God, uh, some of them are just really, frankly, grotesque. Um, and then I got all my answers that I collected over the years. Uh, I start to write this book, and within 40, 50 pages, I had to quit. Because it's like, mm. man, these answers suck. <laughs> they, just, <laughs> they just did not work. And if I can't be convinced, uh, how am I convince anyone else? And even if they did work, even if they show, make God look a little nicer, uh, oh, he's not quite as nasty as he appears. You know, uh, and there's a lot of apologetic books that do that. But even if you succeed in doing that, which is hard enough, you still haven't shown how these portraits of God, like everything else in Scripture, actually bear witness to the God who's revealed on the cross, actually point towards Jesus Christ. And so that's where I had to stop and, and call off everything and start from scratch. And, um, and, and Origen, uh, a second century theologian, was really helpful here. Because Origen, uh, he, he, he says, whenever you come upon uh, impo seemingly impossible conundrums in Scripture, uh, really difficult paradoxes, and he regarded the violent portraits of God to be in that category. Right. Um, mm -hmm. he, he, you know, on the one hand, he couldn't accept the violence because Jesus reveals a God who's opposed to violence. But on the other hand, he, he had to regard it as God's word. Right. He says, when you come to this, uh, wait on the Holy Spirit. Don't get rash. Don't don't reject it. Uh, don't get angry. Submit yourself to it, and and trust that that what if, while the surface maybe contradicts what you see revealed in Jesus Christ, uh, there's a deeper treasure, uh, and keep on searching and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal you a deeper truth that will resolve this conundrum. And um, and I found that as I as I waited on God and uh, just kept on digging, I I believe I found. I found how the cross is actually present in those very portraits of God that seem to con contradict what, God, what, what God's revealed to be on the cross. Oh my goodness. So, so we start with the conundrum of this is the word of God, yet you've got a Jesus advocating nonviolence, blessing your enemies, 
the the portrait of Yahweh in uh, in some of the stories as a god who's destroying enemies and commanding slaughter and so on. So and that, ripping fetuses out of wombs and orchestrating the raping of women and the smashing of babies and parents to cannibalize their children and all. You know, I, I have a whole I have about sixty pages of examples of that in uh the warrior god some of it's really gross yes and and there there have been traditional ways that christians have tried to deal with this so one way is obviously well it's just the word of god and so we have to synthesize uh those pictures with jesus right it's kind of the add-on so you just kind of smoosh them all together and you come up with this sort of you know compiled picture of god a montage where jesus reveals the nice side of God, uh, right. but then there's also this dark side, this genocidal streak, and all this other monstrous stuff. And I see that I see that all over the place. People talk about the angry God of the Old Testament, the nice God mm-hmm. of the New Testament. What's wrong with that synthesis approach? Well, uh, the main thing that's wrong with it is that um, that that uh, the way the New Testament presents Jesus, he's not one revelation among others, not even the most important revelation among others. He's the revelation that culminates and surpasses all others. Uh, he is the Word of God. Um, there's not a lot of words. There's one word, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, or like I said earlier in Hebrews, it says, in the past they right. had glimpses of the truth, but now in Christ we have uh, we have we have the Son, who's the very radiance of God's glory. Which means when, when God shines, it looks like Jesus, uh, and and He's the exact likeness of God's very essence, hypostasis, uh, His 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 very essence. They got glimpses of of this in the past, but insofar as they saw accurately, they were seeing Jesus. It's just that they, you know, if you're getting glimpses of the sun, it means it's a mostly cloudy day. Right. Uh, hmm. And and so in Jesus we have the Son Himself, S O N S U N. And, and without any kind of clouds. And so we have the full view of what they only got glimpses of. So the last hmm. thing we should ever do, and, and it, Jesus says all scriptures about him. So the last thing you should do is to put him alongside of these other things and, and let these violent portraits of God qualify what's revealed about God in Jesus Christ. Um, I know we have to interpret everything through the lens of the crucified Christ, not in competition with the crucified Christ. Okay, mm. that's excellent. But there, uh, the other way that I've seen people do this is what you tried to do initially when you started this book, which is to kind of soften um, the, the portraits of God, um, right. right, in the Old Testament. So they were, you know, they, they didn't destroy everybody, or these were military people, or... You know, I mean, yeah. and 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 you found that unsatisfactory for the reasons you've said. The, the other that was that, that was the book I was going to try to write. Right. Was this, you know, try to soften it and come up with, you know, uh, put the best possible spin on it. And uh, and even with see, even with the best possible spin, you still end up with a God who looks very unlike the God revealed in Christ. And you certainly haven't shown how these portraits point to. The God who's revealed right. in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And then I, I think, um, if I remember correctly, there's one other solution or strategy, the dismissal strategy. Yeah. 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 Tell me about that. Well, um, this is, uh, I, I, I use that category to refer to folks who basically uh, saw, they think they solved the problem of divine violence by arguing that uh, it never happened. Uh, they'll, they'll produce archaeological evidence hmm, uh, right. or have other arguments to say, look, God never said that. And right. therefore, it's not a problem. Um, you know, it's it's uh, uh, th- that was just a reflection of how God's people saw that God at the time. Yes. And and, and so you don't need to worry about it. Now, is um, that is that Pete Enns? Is that um, we just had Rob Bell on? Is that is that what uh, how you see yeah. Rob handling that problem? Yeah, Rob Bell uh, would, would I think fall in that category. Um, 
uh, Eric Siebert in his book, Disturbing Divine Behavior. Yeah. They, they produce archaeological evidence, and, and that so it means it's just you don't have to worry about that. And see, I don't think that that is a viable solution, um, mainly because uh, it's the text that's inspired. Um, you know, Jesus refers to the, this, the, these writings as divinely inspired. And so they have their authority because Jesus gives it to them. Um, they don't have their authority because they correlate with someone's view of history. In, in other words, even if it could be proven to me that, that, the, that the, conquest, the, the actual conquest in history was somewhat different than what the conquest narrative uh, 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 is like in the Bible, that doesn't at all resolve the problem of the violent portrait of God that's found in the conquest narrative in the Bible because it's that narrative that is inspired. Right. Um, and, and, and so I don't think it, it's a viable option. I agree with these folks that, that um, uh, those violent, the, the violent way that they interpret God to be present in these judgments, that does reflect their own perception. Okay, so I, agree, I agree with a lot of what Rob says. I just don't think that, that is the end of the discussion for those of us who believe in uh, the, the, what's called the plenary inspiration of the Bible, the right. full inspiration of the Bible. Uh, I feel compelled to embrace that. And therefore, I have to show what it's not enough for me to say that God is not like that. I have to show in what ways those portraits of God that aren't accurate reflections of who God really is, nevertheless, bear witness to the God who's revealed on the cross. Got it. They, they, there's a positive revelatory value there. Yeah, it's not just the I, negative of saying, hey, it just reflected the consciousness of the day. Right, it's, right, right. it's the positive case then of how that, how that points to Christ. So it's no different than, than, you know, in passages where, and there's a million of these, where, uh, uh, like, where it says God changed his mind. Right. Uh, a lot of people want to say, well, no, look, at God knows the future as all settled, so he can't possibly change his mind. Well, you, you can hold that view, okay, God doesn't change his mind, but it's, you should, it's, it's still incumbent on you than to say what the passage does mean. Right. Or when it says that God came down to check out what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, theologians would generally usually say, well, of course, God didn't literally come down. Um, so God's not really like that. But you still have to say what God is like. Yet, how, how, in what ways is this revelatory? Right. Uh, the passage must mean something positive. And so I think we ha- m- m- my main issue with the folks who advocate the dismissal solution is that they, they give up too quickly. <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they go halfway there. Yes, I agree. That this is this reflects the the limited perceptions of God's people at the time, but you have to keep on pressing to say, well, what's what's the positive revelatory value of this? Right. So, so the first step for you is to say, okay, there, the conundrum is it's all inspired, and it does reveal these portraits of God that are that seemingly inconsistent with Jesus. Um, second step is to present something you call the cruciform hermeneutic. Um, which is something you've already began to articulate, but do you want to spend a little time, more time on that in terms of Jesus sure. as the center of the Bible? Right, right, right. Good. So, yeah, the, the, so, you know, the Bible is a story. It's not like a theological textbook where everything has equal value. It's a story that unfolds, and, and it, it's very much like a story that, uh, like Unusual Suspects or, or uh, uh, the Book of Eli or The Sixth Sense, yeah, 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 yeah. Movies, where the last minute of the movie completely reframes everything that preceded it. Mm, right. uh, uh, or it's the detective novels do this. You know, it's like, whoa, the surprise ending. And now all of a sudden it's clear how all the pieces of evidence fit together. Uh, you have to read those, uh, those novels and, and understand those movies from the perspective of the end. 
Um, hmm. And so, so the, the Bible is this unfolding story, right? And it's, it's about development and God working with his people. And, and then the last chapter of it, Jesus comes and everything gets reframed. Right. So you have to understand, read the whole Bible through the lens of its culmination, which is the cross and resurrection. Uh, the resurrection just confirming that the cross is, is really the revelation of God and the means by which God saves the world. And, and so uh, I, I argue that we should read everything through the lens of that cross. Okay. Uh, and so the, the cruciform hermeneutic is uh, uh, just saying that, that the, we have a privileged perspective that Old Testament people did not have. Uh, because we know what God is really like, and so we have to assess everything uh, through that lens. And when we do, we can see things going on in those passages that the original audience couldn't have seen, so, uh, so or they didn't see very clearly. Yeah, you you always say there's something more going on. Yes. Uh, is the line you use, and you use the example of Shelley and the Panhandler. Share that one. I think that really is helpful. Oh, sure. Okay, this is just an example of. Of, of the kind of reasoning I'm doing in uh, Crucifixion of the Warrior God. Uh, it's, it, it's, you know, imagine I'm walking downtown uh, and uh, just randomly one day and uh, I see my wife on the other side of the street, uh, but the street's very crowded with cars and it's very noisy so she can't hear me and can't see me. Uh, and, and so I, I'm just going to uh, wait uh, till we get to the corner before I can cross over and greet her. So I'm watching her from the other side of the street and, and I see that she's coming upon a panhandler. Uh, uh, it's this guy in his wheelchair and got a veteran's cap and he's selling some p- pencils with little veterans flags on them. And, and I, you know, know my wife. I've been married to her for 37 years and, and she's as, as kind and loving, as compassionate a person as you can imagine. So as I'm watching her fondly, I anticipate that she'll probably empty out her wallet into this guy's jar. Uh, but now imagine if instead of that, I, I went to Shelley all of a sudden uh, – start screaming at this guy, mocking this guy. He takes off, she takes off his, his cap, throws it out into the, the street and knocks over his pencils and, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, just gives his wheelchair a shove and then runs off down the street. <laughs> I, I would be shocked. You know, it, it, like, what did I just witness there? Mm-hmm. Now, my options could be this. Uh, um, uh, on, on the one hand, I could say, gosh, you know, after 37 years, you think you know somebody and it turns out my wife's got this vicious, cruel streak to her. Uh, you know, she's not as loving as I thought. Uh, you know, she has this, this dark side to her. Maybe, maybe for all I know, on uh, every Friday afternoon, she's been sneaking out of the house and going down and beating up panhandlers. <laughs> but see, to, to uh, that, that'd be a synthesis solution. I could synthesize what I just witnessed right. with, what, with, with what I know to be true about Shelley. Uh, but that seems feels unfaithful. I, I know my wife. I, I, I have to trust my 37 years of marriage to her mm-hmm. and, so until I can sit down with her, a better way to go about this would be to say, um, ima- try to imagine what else was going on. Mm-hmm. Like, there, I have to believe that something else was going on here. Maybe, for example, maybe uh, she was recruited into some sort of sociological experiment where there's people testing people's reaction to outrageous things. Uh, and, and, you know, so maybe right now there's, there's some social scientists taking notes on, on how people reacted. Or maybe she was recruited into a reality TV show or something, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, punked or something like that. Maybe I'm being punked right now. They knew I was going to be downtown and there's a camera on me right now capturing my horrified face. I have to assume something like that's going on, even though that seems kind of far-fetched. Right. But it's, it's more plausible than the suggestion that my wife could actually have a cruel streak that I didn't know about for 37 years. Right. Uh, yeah. The analogy is this. Then when we read the Old Testament, I, 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 
I believe we're called to trust that God really is as beautiful as he's revealed to be on the cross. And so trusting that, now we have to imagine, know that something else was going on. Mm-hmm. Something else that, 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 would, uh, um, uh, that will explain why God appears this way uh, in, in uh, the, the Old Testament. So, and, and my claim is that when we read Scripture through that lens, we can begin to see what that something else is. Good. And, and then something else that's going on is exactly what's also going on on the cross. So let's talk about the cross for a second. What's going on on the cross? You've got God pouring out his wrath, uh, at least the, how it's presented, right? Or the angry God pouring right. out his wrath on Jesus, and, and Jesus is taking that in, in our place. You, you've got uh, Jesus forgiving his enemies. You've got Jesus being hung like a, a, a brigand or a, a criminal. Uh, what's really happening there? So, because you're, you're using that as like the, the paradigm example of God's revelation. So let's unpack that a little bit. Sure, sure. Oh, sure. And this is what the whole second volume is about. Okay, hold on, uh, hold on. He just, he just, he just did his sleeves. He pulled up his <laughs> sleeves a little bit to like, okay, here we go. This is it. Oh, the gun's out. All right, yes, yes. So let's do that. Let's, let's, let's unpack that and then let's apply it to something in the Old Testament. Sure, sure. Um, well, uh, there's four different things that I flesh out going on in the cross. Um, yes, yes. Central thing, okay, let's see what the central thing okay, that is, is this. And this is what began to change for me. Uh, as I sat in this conundrum 10 years ago, uh, knowing that I, I had, out of fidelity to Jesus, I have to embrace the Old Testament as divinely inspired, but also out of fidelity to Jesus, I can't accept these portraits of God. Uh, what do I do with that? And uh, um, what I found was, hang on, i got to shut off my phone. Um, that, that I, I asked this question, um, and it's a question I've never heard anyone ask before, but once I asked it, it seems like the most obvious question in the world. Hmm. The question is, how does the cross reveal God? Mm-hmm. Like, like hmm. you, you're looking at this, you know, uh, first century, uh, Jewish person being crucified as a criminal, and it looks on the surface, all you see is a God-forsaken criminal. I mean, that's, that's right. what Paul said Paul, in, in the first century context, to be hanging on a cross is to be under a curse. Um, and so how does that reveal God? Uh, to a non-believer, it doesn't reveal God. To a non-believer, it's just one of the many criminals that Rome totally. crucified. Yep. Well, that cross beca- begins to become the revelation of God when we, by faith, look through the surface and see something else going on. By faith, it's, it's not what the natural eye can see that reveals God. It, what the natural eye sees is, is, is hideously ugly. Right. But it's when we, by faith, believe the message of the cross, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Yes. That God stooped, the all-holy God stooped this infinite distance uh, to become our sin and to become our curse. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21 and Galatians 3.13. Uh, and it's the distance that God crosses to become this ugliness. That's what reveals the beauty of God. Okay. Uh, so that God... So God then steps into this, 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 this uh, cross where that, that reflects, the ugliness of the cross reflects uh, the ugliness of our sin. But the beauty of the cross is that God would step into that out of love for us. Uh, and, and so if this is how God reveals himself on the cross, and the cross is the definitive revelation of God, and the cross reveals what God has always been like, including what God was like when he inspired the Bible, shouldn't we... Read the Bible knowing that sometimes God might reveal himself this way. Shouldn't we read the Bible knowing that we might find the uh, depictions of God where the surface isn't what reveals him. In fact, the surface will reflect the ugliness of the sin that God stoops to bear. 
What will reveal God is when we trust that God is as beautiful as he's revealed to be on the cross, that we exercise that same faith to look through the sin-mirroring surface to see that God has been, has, he's always been condescending, always been stooping to be in solidarity with his people, even when they held fallen and, and, and sinful views of him. Right. Um, and saw him as just an ancient Eastern God. God stayed in solidarity with them and bore that sin. He's always been a sin-bearing God. And so... Um, and that was the that, that was the first step that I began to see that that God's a God who reveals His beauty by taking on our ugliness, and He's been doing that throughout history. And our ugliness is the way that we're seeing Him, correct? So when you say He bears our well, sin, that, that that that's 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 one of the ways that I mean okay. our our ugliness is all of our sin. Okay. Um, but certainly our sin includes uh, our warrior God conceptions of Him and our the, our, the way we project onto Him our own uh, lust for power, our own violence, uh, you know, our own hatred of enemies, we project that onto him. And, and yeah, so that's the sin that he bears. Um, and, and that's why in scripture he'll take on depictions, uh, take on an appearance that reflects the way his people actually view him. So, mm-hmm. so uh, did, did he command genocide or is that what the Israelites thought he commanded? And by allowing the by allowing um, the depiction of him as the one who commanded the slaughter, God is bearing that sin and reflecting the ugliness of the Israelites. Is that how exactly. you would say that? Exactly. If I if I if I really trust that God is fully, completely revealed in Jesus Christ, whose ministry and identity is centered on the cross, um, then can I can I for a moment imagine Jesus saying? Go slaughter every man, woman, child, infant. Oh, and don't, don't, don't let the animals escape you. Slaughter them too. Right. Uh, although sometimes he says, uh, if you find a virgin attractive, you can take her home and uh, have sex with her. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine Jesus under any circumstances uh, commanding that. Right. Uh, and and uh, it's the opposite of, of love your enemies, turn the other cheek, pray for those who despitefully use you, all, all of that. Uh, and so I have to say that this ugliness... Uh, is a reflection of the way the ancient Near Eastern people saw, uh, the, the way the ancient Hebrews saw uh, Yahweh. Uh, and, and then as I read the, the, the narrative through the lens of the cross, knowing that God is bearing their sin right there, I begin to find confirmations of that all over the place. Okay. Um, I, mean, I mean, for example, uh, and I, when I assume this perspective, it's like you start to notice things that you didn't notice before. Right. When you really trust that God is as beautiful as he is in Christ, all these things start to be, take on significance that you maybe didn't notice before. Like, for example, I had never before noticed that there's a number of plans uh, in the conquest narrative where Yahweh says he, he, he reflects a plan where he wants to get his people into that promised land in a nonviolent way. The hornets. Uh, yeah, he says, I'll drive them out with horns, but I'm not going to do it quickly uh, because otherwise they'll become overrun. So I'll do it slowly. Right. And that way you, you, you can grow in numbers. And, and, and so this is a... A, a nonviolent re- relocation prog- uh, uh, program, or another time he says, uh, "I'll cause the land to be unfruitful; it will vomit them out." Right. Uh, but I'm not going to do it really quick because otherwise the land would be overrun. Um, and and see that reflects. I mean that that looks like the way Jesus would do it. You know that, that looks mm-hmm. like a Jesus way of re- relocating an indigenous population. They slowly migrate off. My people slowly migrate on. What happened to those plans? Uh, you know, it, it's it's all of a sudden. You know, kill them all, slaughter them all. Don't spare the little infants. Uh, you know, it's what happened here. 
And I submit that it wasn't God who changed. Uh, God didn't all of a sudden get in a very bad mood. Um, I, 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 his people were not capable of, of hearing those plans. It's just like Jesus when, he, when, he, when he, he's always telling the, his, his disciples, hey, I got to go to Jerusalem. I, I, I'm going to get crucified. Uh, but uh, I'll, on the third day, I'll rise from the dead. Right. Well, they won't have anything of it because their idea of a Messiah is that he's going to come and kick Roman butt and liberate Israel. Okay. Right. Um, and so it goes in one ear and out the other. So when Jesus is actually uh, arrested and is is crucified, they're shocked. Right. You know, they're, he's been talking about it for three years, but you, you know you see what you what you're able to see and you hear what you're able to hear, and they weren't able to hear that. Um, and, and Yahweh always you know, in the Old Testament you have this refrain where he's always saying, "If you will trust me, right. you won't have to fight. You won't have to fight." Which already tells us that whenever they relied on the sword, it's because they weren't trusting Yahweh. Yeah. Um, that the, the sword was never part of God's will for them. And so uh, uh, I, I think what happens is in the ancient nation mindset, when Yahweh says, go and, and, and occupy the land, what Moses hears is, go and slaughter the indigenous population, because in slaughtering the indigenous population is simply what it meant to occupy someone else's land. Okay. You know, the, the two sides of the same coin. So, so Moses, and, let's say if he's writing it, puts that as God's command. God's right. decree is to slaughter them. That's what he hears. God, in his sin-bearing nature, allows that picture to be put into the, the divinely inspired record of those Absolutely, events. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and that's, yeah, yeah. that's God's sin-bearing part, is that he exactly. allows that ugliness to be associated with him. And, 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 and th see, this also reflects the cross. Because the cro on the cross... And people think that God's breathing, okay, his, the breathing of Scripture is a unilateral activity, all from him towards us. Right. But the cross isn't like that. On, on the cross, you know, God breathes that revelation, right? right. Uh, it, it, it's his definitive revelation. And it involves God acting toward us. He took the initiative. You know, he, he came down to earth. Uh, all of that it was his plan. But it also involves God allowing us to act on him. Uh, it was, hmm. it, all the violence was a matter of God allowing human beings to act on him. All the ugliness that, 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 that Jesus took on involved G, uh, God allowing humans and, and fallen powers to act on him. And ultimately, uh, the fact that he's bearing the sin of the world, um, that's allowing all of humanity to act on him. But I thought, so that God, was, I thought that was God's wrath. At least that's what people will say. God's wrath sure. was poured out on, on Jesus, not just right. the, the wrath of angry, you know, Romans and powers and principalities. So, right, so Dr. Boyd. So, Dr. Boyd, my Bible <laughs> says, what do you do with the wrath of God? Yes, yes. You know, um, okay, so, so this brings us to a second aspect of the cross. Um, <laughs> and, and I think everything should be based on the cross. I mean, let's just I keep going back to is the this, cross. Is this one of the best interviews you've ever done? I just need to no, hear no, that right now. Not one of them. I mean, this is right over the top. The best. Yeah, we turned this up to 11, <laughs> this is, actually. This is that interview, greater than which none other can be conceived. Yeah. If we, yeah, we need to make metal references to make sure that this is oh, all we correct oh, theology we will. here. We will. So we this will. is 11. Yeah, so yes, the second thing he's doing. I love it. Yeah, so, um, uh, so you know, Jesus does. Uh, barely, he, he, uh, in the garden, he takes this cup and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Right. Well, that cup, uh, scholars agree, is the cup of God's wrath. The cup is used numerous times throughout the Old Testament to yeah. reflect God's, God's wrath. So this is the wrath of God. But if you look at what actually happens, the only thing the Father does is turn Jesus over to 
wicked humans operating under the influence of fallen powers. He delivers them over, Paul says, um, uh, and, and he, he was just withdraws protection. And now these agents are able to do what they already want to do. Hmm. Uh, there's no indication that the father was that the father didn't lift a finger towards Jesus. Uh, and the, the father didn't have to make anyone kill Jesus. And the father wasn't angry towards Jesus. Uh, if anything, there, there's, there's grief there. Uh, but the father did, and, and this he does in, in league with the son. This isn't something that is forced on the son. This is a plan that God hit upon the whole triune God uh, from the, at least from the time of the, of the fall. Uh, and, and, uh, and so Jesus voluntarily offers himself up. The father delivers him over. And, and now Jesus experiences the death consequences that are intrinsic in all sin. Right. All sin is a matter of pushing God away. God's the God of life. So sin is about choosing death. That's why the wages of sin is death. Right. It, it's not oh. like, you know, in the, in the garden, Yahweh didn't say, uh, in the day that you eat of it, I'm going to kill you. He right. says, in the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. Death is simply the natural consequence. Well, Jesus oh. bears that. So it wasn't um, something extrinsic. It was something intrinsic exactly. to bearing sin. It, 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 I, I argue that the Bible's main view of of sin is in punishment. It's punishment isn't imposed on us. It's it's in, in, intrinsic to the sin itself. And I've got you know seventy right. some pages on that in the book to show that. I mean, in the Old Testament, they don't even have a separate word for punishment. They use a derivative of the the, the sin itself right. uh, to to show what the consequences of that sin is. If you're corrupt, it will lead to corruption. If you destroy, it will lead to destruction. Uh, and so it ricochets back on you. Right. Uh, and so yeah, so Jesus bears that. Right. And then with, with, when you read the Bible through that lens, you begin to see it all over the place. That, that, that uh, uh, you know, with all these judgments, the Old Testament authors will often attribute the violence to, to God. Right. Because in the ancient Near East, that's, that's how you praise God. You exalt your God by, by exaggerating his ferociousness. Right. Our God will dance in the blood of your babies, will eat the heads of your mothers, you know. And, and they're just into this macabre praise. Uh, my, that's their way of saying our God's bigger than your God. Right. Uh, and and the, the biblical authors are conditioned by that environment, so they do the same thing. But if you read their own writings, it's, it's often, more often than not, very clear that Yahweh actually didn't lift a finger. So, uh, so that, let's take, let's take um, the Red Sea. Um, you've got Exodus 15, they're dancing, they're, they're singing just like you're saying. You know, the Yahweh has right. hurled the horse and the rider into the sea. Um, that seems like an episode of divine violence against Pharaoh and his army. It does. So, and so our, our God, is Dr. Boyd, Exodus 15, three. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. So they're doing the, the ancient near Eastern thing that they do. So sure, how sure. does this, so apply what you've been saying to that episode about Yahweh, not lifting a finger. And, and I, I thought that this would be the, one of the most challenging passages I had to deal with. Uh, as I'm flushing out this thesis, I'm, I'm wondering how's this going to apply to this passage. This passage, so I, 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 I thought this would be tough because there's no other agent. It doesn't seem available to do the violence. Right. You know, this doesn't seem like God turning anyone over to a violent thing. Uh, it looks like God opened up the water and then squished the water together, and boom, uh, Pharaoh's army is dead. Yes. I was shocked to find out. And I remember the morning when I first started to discover this. I and Paul Eddy were down in the basement of the uh, Bethel Library doing this <laughs> research. And Paul, Paul's uh, my my uh, I call him my research hound because I, I'll, I'll tell him kind of what I'm looking for and, and what I need. And he's able to just sift through books at an amazing speed to kind of find out what's relevant and what's not, what mm -hmm. I need to read, you know. 
And, and so he brought, he came back. I, I, today's project was the Red Sea, and came back with this ton of articles and ton of books. Wow. And I began to dive into this, and I was shocked to find out that. Um, uh, and there's a ton of scholars who you know have, have written a lot about this, but the, the Red Sea episode. Now to follow this, and, and, and I'll give this warning ahead of time. You're dealing when we're dealing with an ancient worldview that is very, very, very different from our worldview, and yep. so it's going to sound very funky and very strange. Yeah. But we have to be willing to go there if we're going to understand that what the text is about, what God has to say to us here. Right. Okay. So it, it, there's it, seven or eight other places in the Old Testament that refer back to the uh, the Red Sea event, right. the crossing right. of the Red Sea, and all of them celebrate that crossing of the Red Sea, not as it's not so much as a victory of Yahweh over Pharaoh's army, but wait for it, wait for it. Come on. A, a victory on. of Yahweh over Leviathan or over yeah. the hostile waters the, or over Rahab uh, or, or over Yom. Yom is the Canaanite yeah. deity of, of chaos uh, or over the multi-headed beast. Now, this was the, 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 an ancient Near Eastern way of depicting evil. Uh, mm. We would today call it Satan or, you know, principalities and powers. They thought in terms of uh, cosmic monsters, uh, and they called them Leviathan or Rahab or, or, or whatever. And, and you find those beasts referred to a number of times in the Old Testament. Right. Uh, and so what, the authors, what these authors are saying is that uh, this... This event here involved cosmic warfare, which is another principle I derive from the cross, right. because the cross ultimately was the means by which God drove Satan out of this world, uh, John uh, 12, 31. And, and, uh, and so we have to read the Bible with that in mind, that there's cosmic warfare that's going on. And so as, as, as you read it from the biblical perspective, Yahweh, there's this force of chaos uh, that is, is represented by the Red Sea. Yahweh... It, it, conquers this beast, is able to subdue this beast and hold it at bay, yep. which is what Yahweh does to, to create this present world order, according to a number of passages. Yep. He's holding these forces at bay, allowing his people to, to go through safely. And then uh, uh, when, when Pharaoh arrogantly sends his army and they're thinking that he could do the same thing, Yahweh simply uh, stops, with, he simply withdraws, just as he does on the cross. He withdraws and allows now this beast to do what this beast wants to do, which is to to devour, uh, to devour people. And so the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy is the one who carries this out. That is a judgment of God, right. uh, but it's not a, a judgment that the only thing God does to bring judgment, I, I'll put it like this, to bring judgment, God never needs to act, act violently. In fact, he doesn't need to do anything. What he, to bring judgment, all he needs to do is to stop doing something, right. namely mercifully holding back uh, the death consequences of our sin. Uh, and 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 the the principalities and powers that are always seeking to kill, steal, and destroy everything that's good in our life. So is it the okay. is it the distinction? I'm sorry, Andy. Real quick, is this the distinction? Um, and I know this is a non sequitur, but but between passive and active euthanasia. In other words, active euthanasia is actually act, actively killing somebody, you know, in mercy or whatever. Passive mm -hmm. is just letting the disease take its course without intervening. Is are, are you are you making uh, a similar distinction? between the active wrath of God zapping uh -huh. somebody versus allowing the natural zapping of the powers and the and whatever else to take place is that yeah I think I, I think that analogy uh, would work I, I have not used that analogy before so I, I hesitate a little bit like 
Okay, I got to think it through. But on, on the surface, I, I think that could be a, a, a good analogy. Where uh, and, and, and the other thing is that if, if Jesus is the key, our, our cue for what God is really like, then we we have to see God doing this uh, reluctantly and and w- w- with a grieving heart because Jesus, as he's announcing this judgment right. coming on Jerusalem. Uh, which would happen at the hands of Roman soldiers. All the violence was done by soldiers, not God. But as he's announcing this, um, he, he's crying. In fact, the word that's used there could be translated wailing yeah. as he's writing in Jerusalem. And so behind all these judgments, we have to see a wailing God. Uh, if, if there's any other way of doing it, God would have done that. But uh, the analogy I like to use is, is uh, so if you've ever had a, uh, a relative who's addicted or something, a loved one who's addicted, you try to help them, you protect them from the consequences of their addiction, uh, you know, try to keep them from hitting bottom, but there can come a point where you're just enabling them, and the only way there's any hope of them ever turning around is for you to let them go uh, and, and go ahead and hit bottom. I gotta turn you out, and, and you, your heart aches, uh, but but there's no alternative. So that's Romans. Uh, it, it, that's the Romans one uh, turning Romans over. Romans one is, is a class, and Paul there is explicit. He, he's he, he's talking about the wrath of God against human beings. Right. Here's the wrath of God against human beings. He gives them and, over. And three times it says God gave, turned them over to a reprobate mind. He turned them over to the consequences of their their uh, their, their sin. So they keep sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into it. So even if he's not actively Rathing. That's a good verb. Allowing it, and, and I know there's a distinction here. I've heard you speak to this a bunch, but I, I can imagine some of our audience saying, well, okay, you've just pushed it back a level. Okay, so mm. God's not actively doing it, but he's allowing it to happen, and isn't he still responsible if he could have prevented it? Uh, not, if, not, not if there was no other option for him. Okay. Um, it, 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 it's like, what do you want God to do? Uh, when people have raised this objection, I, I, it's like, what do you want God to do? If he stays in there and keeps pre- preventing this, right. uh, well, then people just sink more and more deeply into their sin and become more and more hopeless. It, that would be evil, <laughs> you right. know, to, to, let, let, uh, to not have any consequences for any decisions we make. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so if God's not actively doing it, the only option is that he is withdrawing to allow it. To allow it. I also ask this of people who say who object to this. Right. It's like, are you? Do you want to say God doesn't allow it? <laughs> right. Because it's you know. And what do you do with all those passages, including uh, all the the gospel passages about the cross, where God did allow it? God right. turned it over. You know, right. God. One of the things you find throughout the Old Testament is even when the authors attribute violence directly to God, their own their own writings almost always will say that God merely hid His face or turned away or turned His people over. Uh, or abandon his people. They use that kind of language. Uh, that's the only thing God ever does when it comes to bringing judgment. And he does it with a grieving heart, but he does it because there is no alternative. And I don't think he's morally culpable for that. Okay. Um, because there's there's no alternative. Because, and, and there's no alternative because of the kinds of beings that human beings are, namely free moral agents. Right, right. Well, yeah, see, th- 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 that's a premise that I work with throughout this book is that... Right. Um, God, God is a God who honors our being made in the image of God. He honors our personhood. And so, I mean, this is why he has to work with his people over time to gradually grow them, to try to, you know, he has to meet them where they're at because right. he refuses to lobotomize people. He, he refuses to coerce people into having the correct ideas about him. Right. And the minute you grant that, then, then of course he has to then uh, put up with them when they have their false ideas about him. Un- and, he, mm-hmm. and he does. 
And he go, does that to stay in the game to slowly influence us in a direction where we can finally have a capacity to see who he truly is. On a scale of one to ten, how comfortable are you calling myself Greg Boyd and going out and speaking about the book as if I'd wrote if I, if I'd wrote it based on based on the question the kinds of questions that are being asked of you right now how comfortable are you if if you just said hey Mike I can't do this one go ahead in my name <laughs> I, 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 how comfortable am I on on you doing that yeah you, you going up for me yeah yeah, well, that's he's what a pretty smart guy. It's just like you kind of get get this. Okay, uh, all right. I, 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 I'd say I, I'd give you a six. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good. I take a six. All right, Andy, hey, what that, do you got? Hey, that's two more than I thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> well, I, I, I was just kind of summarizing in my mind, kind of the the what we just talked about about passive and and active wrath of God, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I mean it it if to put it just through layman's thought of like going back to the the picture of the Red Sea, I mean, part of that equation seems like Pharaoh allowed or the his military made the choice to enter after Israel through the Red Sea, right? you know, as if they would not succumb, you know, under the protection in which God had created for Israel in that moment. Like they expected, right, right, right. well, we can follow right. because the waters have opened up. But it's right, like right, if right. logically be like, well, they opened up because it was for Israel to pass through, but right, right. but yet they still chose after it. So that seems to me like logical judgment in the sense that God's like, well, this 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 act was for the protection of my people. So therefore they have passed and now I will let the waters return. And therefore that military had already made the choice to follow after. And they're in the midst of that collision of waters coming back together right. again. No, it's so, and, and they're 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 from the biblical perspective. They're marching into the mouth of the beast. They are freely yeah. choosing to march into the, in the mouth right. of this beast who devours people. Uh, and, and this, all, you know, this also reflects another dimension of the cross. I, I call it divine Aikido, where uh, yes, uh, on the cross, you know, God uses Satan's own self-induced blindness against him. Uh, and and uh, Jesus comes into this world, and Satan and the whole kingdom of darkness, they don't understand why he's here. They know who he is. The demons recognize him, but they don't know why he's here. And that's why they crucify him. And Paul says that if they would have understood the wisdom of God, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Right. Because it's by means of that crucifixion that they're being brought to nothing. So God used their own evil against them. And this is a pattern I think we find, since the cross reveals totally. what God's always been like, it reveals that God's always been using evil to conquer evil. And what's interesting is here Pharaoh and, and, and Egypt, that he rules, are, uh, they are in, in, in Scripture presented as themselves being a cosmic monster. Right. They're referred to by Jeremiah as Rahab and, and, mm. and, and Leviathan. And so they, are, they, they embody this cosmic evil. So here we have a, the serpent swallowing the serpent, the dragon swallowing the dragon, yeah. which is a motif. Uh, I'll, I could go on on this one for a while. But <laughs> all, if you go back, the, the, whole, the whole Exodus narrative began with Aaron's serpent swallowing Pharaoh's serpent. Yes, okay? come on. It's, Form of evil, swallowing evil, and you find that, and I, I try to show this in, in my chapter on it, that that every every one of the plagues is a matter of God doing that, and just turning over this section of creation to forces of chaos that want to undo it. And weren't and they? And weren't those? And weren't they associated with gods that were worshipped in Egypt? Various, yeah, the god of Nile. You know, is is being is being uh, uh, refuted by the, when when it turns to blood, and, right. and so yeah, people made the case that all of these plagues were actually uh, mainly uh, warfare against the gods of Egypt. Um, but so you have this evil you know, working on evil, and it culminates mm-hmm. with this, you know, the the with the cosmic beast swallowing uh, Egypt, which itself is is uh, a manifestation of a cosmic beast. 
And, and, and in this way, all of this points to the cross. So the way God. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, the way that God uh, uh, suffers the judgment of, of the sin of the world on the cross is the way God has always been uh, dealing with 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 uh, sin and the way He always has been conquering evil. Yeah. So by allowing the by allowing the surface or what you call the mask, God God puts allows the mask to be put on Him of the perception of the people at the time, and right, bearing right, right. their evil so that He can stay in influence influential relationship with them. God, exactly. And 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 then in at times um, when His wrath is expressed. It's, it's a matter of just withdrawing his protection or presence or provision so that evil will defeat itself uh, right. ultimately, right? All of that points to the cross. Uh, see, it's okay, uh, from not, six to seven. You, you have to, up to seven, man. You, <laughs> ah! it, this is such a better answer than, oh, well, God will just always do good out of evil. Right. You know, I mean, that's that's more of the pat kind of answer of like, well, you know, bad things happen and God can always use bad things to make good. Right. But this this feels like such a more complete you know, explanation of how, you know, that motif of like God allows evil to conquer itself. Like that, that makes so much more sense to me. So if you've got, if you've got just a couple of, couple of minor things that I'm sure people are thinking, one, uh, what about angry Jesus, angry Jesus with the whip, um, angry Jesus towards the Pharisees. I know he's not violent in either of those episodes, but at least the whip one gives the appearance of, or the Ananias and Sapphira incident or Jesus in revelation. I know, I know mm. you deal with each of these pick, pick yeah. one of them and just take a shot at it real quick. Well, I, I have a, uh, yeah. So in, in volume one, I have four appendices that deal with the, uh, uh, the alleged violence of Jesus. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and each of those examples and, um, and then I'll refer to a number of books that have been written that, that address these things. Um, I'll start with the Jesus of Revelation. Um, this one is, the, is, is I, I think, the most interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, on the surface, it looks like Jesus is absolutely, you know, bloodletting. Uh, yes, you know, yes. I, I, some have called Revelation 19 the bloodiest chapter in the Bible. Right. It comes and slays the nations and all that stuff. But see... If you really trust that God is as beautiful as He's revealed to be on the cross, um, then, and you read that that this book carefully from that perspective, you'll find something very different. And hmm. there's a there's a number of scholars who argue this. This isn't just me, but here's a snapshot of it. You know, John in in in, in uh, chapter five, which is kind of the fulcrum of this this book. Uh, they're asking the question, who's worthy to, uh, to open the scroll and read the scroll? The scroll being uh, the, the secret of how God r r runs the universe and how God's going to defeat evil. This is a secret. Right. And it's an important secret because right now it looks like God's losing. Uh, all the saints are being martyred and stuff. Right. And so, so who, who's worthy to unleash un un the scroll? Then John hears the lion of the tribe of Judah. Right. He, has, he, he has overcome. And that is a traditional militant conception of the Messiah. Absolutely. Uh, lion will rip you to pieces. But then John looks and he sees the, a slain little lamb. Right. Um, and this is a motif, a, a theme that John uses a lot. He hears one thing, right. but then he turns and he looks and what he sees interprets what he heard. Right. So what he, he, the, the, the Messiah is a lion who is going to fight with the ferocity of, of, of a lion. But the way he fights and the way he's victorious is by laying down his life. Right. And then that, that what we find throughout the book of Revelation is John will take these traditional, very violent symbols, yeah. and, and, and he'll juxtapose them with, with, with other symbols that completely subvert their violence right. and changes the meaning of them. Um, 
And so, like, in Revelations 19, uh, Jesus is, is soaked in blood. He's a blood-soaked warrior. Now, this goes back to Isaiah uh, uh, 62 or 63, I believe it is, where it's an image of Yahweh coming back from a battle, and he's soaked in blood. Hmm. And this was an ancient Near Eastern, a common ancient Near Eastern uh, uh, imagery of a, of a victorious warrior. Hmm. You know, because the blood of your enemies is on you, and you're still standing. So look at this. You slaughtered them, and they didn't slaughter you. Hooray. Uh, so it looks like Jesus is just like that. He's a blood-soaked uh, warrior. What's interesting is that in Revelation 19, Jesus is soaked in blood before he goes into battle. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and, hmm. and, and what, what John is saying there is that that this warrior, yeah, he, he he's a warrior soaked in blood, but he does warfare not by causing other people to, hmm. to bleed, but by himself bleeding for others. He Come goes on. into battle. He goes into battle soaked in blood. Come and on. yeah, he's got a sword. He's got a sword, but the sword comes out of his mouth. Right. Uh, That's again, interesting. Now, who, who literally goes and fights? I mean, you get a sprained neck if you try that. Right, It doesn't right. work. You know? But it's because this is he, he, he does battle by speaking the truth. And his followers uh, do the same thing. So they, that they, they did warfare by, by testifying to the truth and by laying down their lives. That's how the kingdom goes forward, and, and that's how the lamb goes forward. You right. speak the truth, you lay down your life to prove it, and... and By the word of their testimony. Right, that's right. And so, yeah, all these kings are slaughtered uh, in 19. But it, it's interesting, is in, in Revelation 22, you find those kings are back there, and, and they're bringing their glory now into the, the New Jerusalem. Hmm. Um, what, what got slain was the false kings. What got slain, and this is true throughout the book of Revelation, it's, it's, it's about truth versus lies. The truth slaughters the lies. The right. truth is that the lamb has overcome. The world doesn't recognize it yet because the, the, the world is under the deceiver, but the truth shall win out in the end. And, and the way that, we're, that, that Jesus' followers are, are to display that truth is by being willing to do what he did, to oh. manifest the truth. That, that we lay down our lives, testifying that this is what God's character is like, and this is the kind of character that will be victorious and reign forever in the end. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. There's my sermon. <laughs> Boom. Um, Hallelujah. One uh, one last one last question uh, concerning wrath. Um, you you spent some time on the fact that God withdrew from Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, um, right. Why why? Couple of things. Did that really happen? Because one of the things I, I kind of personally believe is that when Jesus quotes that, he's he's actually reciting Psalm twenty two, which mm-hmm. is this psalm of of suffering and vindication, and it's got casting lots and it's stuff that's going on around him, and so he's actually reciting there. So I've always I've always taken that kind of tack uh, instead of that he actually withdrew and was forsaken by God, but. Spend some time on why why you think that's so important. How that doesn't how how that withdrawal works uh, in a trinitarian sure, sure. conception of God. Okay, good, good. Um, yeah, and, and this has been a point that I, I'm surprised. This has been one of the most controversial points so hmm. far. Uh, and in terms of book reviews, people have really been critical of this. Hmm. Uh, although um, there's a lot of theologians who hold it. I mean, Bart Moltmann, uh, you know, Jungle. I, a number of very well-known theologians have, have held this. But what about but yeah, Osteen? What about Osteen? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure what his view is, but uh, okay. it, it'll be very important to me that, that I find out. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if he's, if he's thought about this, but okay. uh, here's what I mean. Like People say, was, was Jesus really forsaken? And the, there's a sense in which you have to say yes and a sense in which you have to say no. Okay. Yes, he was in the sense that he was turned over. And the, you can't get around that. The Father right. delivered him over. Right. But since Jesus was in on the plan from the start, it wasn't a, a real forsakenness. Uh, the, it, it didn't disrupt the love 
you know, between the, the father and the son. Right. Um, and so, yeah, he was turned over, but I don't think the father needed to shirk back or, or you know, or anything like that. Okay. Um, and and the, the I, I some have said, well, the, but I, I do think that Jesus, as he stands in our place, and goes into complete solidarity with our sin right. and our and the curse, the, the judgment of that sin. Mm-hmm. I think he does experience God forsakenness. He, he he's on the inside of that. He feels the horror of of sin. Um, to, I think the same thing. Less than that would be to make the experience somewhat disingenuous. Hmm. If he's hmm. absolutely blissful as he's on the cross, and <laughs> then, then then in what sense is he really suffering for us? I, to suffer the consequences of sin is to suffer it from the inside. Uh, the horror of the mother who has to make a choice between which of her babies she's going to give it to a Nazi guard because right. the Nazi guard's demanding it. You know, right. Sophie's mm. choice kind of yep. thing. Yep. I, I think he's experiencing that from the inside. So the life and of Brian isn't an accurate depiction. Not so much. <laughs> so it, it always is good to look on the bright side of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. Some people have thought, well, then doesn't that sever the, the love of the triune God. And, right. and my answer is no, it manifests it. Okay. Uh, this is, I think, one of the most profound and beautiful paradoxes of the New Testament. But right when Jesus is experiencing God forsakenness, they are manifesting the infinite intensity of their perfect love. Hmm. Because it was the love hmm. of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being poured out towards humans that led them to embark on this plan right. of God going to the furthest extreme imaginable, which is the all-holy God to experience from the inside our sin, and the, and the perfectly united God to experience God-forsakenness. Hmm. God is going to, he's experiencing his own antithesis. Right. And so God couldn't in all eternity go further than he went in order to manifest the truth of who he is and to redeem us. And and so uh, the right when Jesus is experiencing God-forsakenness, there you're seeing the infinite intensity of the tri, the love that unites the triune God. Got it. Uh, God's perfect unity is manifested in His experience separation. Right. That yeah. That distance reveals His beauty more than anything else could have. The distance He was willing to travel. He, he couldn't have gone further. That's why the cross is the supreme revelation of who God is, uh, because. Uh, it, it, the unsurpassable distance that God went reveals the unsurpassable perfection of the love that he is. Now, this was all, okay, up till this point, this was all introductory stuff, because now we got some serious <laughs> questions for you. Now it's time to get real. Now it's time to get real. <laughs> uh, the role, just speak briefly, we, we, we will, to honor your time, um, the role of speed metal in discipleship is what? Oh, well, for ADD people, it calms your brain down enough so you can actually listen to people. <laughs> you need that speed metal. It drilled into you. Now, now I'm calm enough to actually you know, do something with it. Uh, if you're a drummer, the role is that it takes discipline to learn how to do it, man. I had to work for a couple of years to get that bass drumming to go that fast. Yes. I'm still yes. You know, not there. I'm, you, know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm here to prove it. By but being but, able to but do- here's what I love. If you, if you follow Greg on Twitter... You get combinations of all sorts of things. So he's been he's been touring his hometown recently. Um, uh, but every now and again, you'll get uh, metal band references that are that at least <laughs> you know are, are are relatively out of the mainstream. Like this song has been taking me to the throne of God, and it's some um, <laughs> oh, insane. Yeah, 
Yeah, I've always I've always looked at my my reference of the angry god of the Old Testament to me has always been heavy metal god. You oh. know, because if we want to go through the entire catalog of like heavy metal, it's like, yeah, this god looks, you know, not oh, yeah, so yeah. different than <laughs> You've got some yeah, you, yeah, see that, that, that you got some demonic metal and uh, you know that oh yeah, you eat rotten corpses, your mother sucks players. <laughs> <laughs> and they sing that that monster voice. I I, I I I can't get into that. I just Yeah. I, I, I I'm more into like majestic, the beautiful kind of uh, it's symphonic metal. Oh and yeah, oh yeah, Man of War, um, Sonata Arctica, Dragon Force. I mean, all that yeah. fantasy metal era. Dragon Force, yep, Stradivarius. I, I, I like the, I like a little bit of death metal, like like uh, 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 more amorphous. Is that it? Amorphous. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's, been, there's some beautiful stuff there, but I the, love I, it. the monster voice. Into. Sorry, <laughs> I, I absolutely, absolutely love it. Um, if people, so, so, and I know this is always hard to do, but I'm, I'm looking at part of your library behind you, um, and I've been looking at titles o- over your shoulder just to make sure oh, I, really? there's. Um, uh, if, if you were gonna back to that, you know, introductory person, besides the Gospels, um, a book or two on the beauty of Jesus that you've read that you that you would recommend for folks new to the conversation. Anything, anything come immediately to mind? Well, you know, I, I, one comes to mind. It, it, it's not just on the beauty of Jesus, but it's the beauty of the whole gospel. Uh, I, I think Brixie Cabby's new book, Reunion, is like w- w- one of the best, simplest, uh, most profound statements of the gospel. On how to, it, it's really on how to share the gospel. Uh, and, but he wants to make it as easy as, you know, you have like the, uh, people had these, uh, the, the Romans Bridge. Like yeah, four steps, yeah, or, yeah. you know, those kind of little clever things. Yep. Uh, and the trouble is that all those messages were about how to how to not go to hell when you die. You know, right. yeah. how to be sure that you can go to heaven. Right. Uh, and Brexy rightly points out that that is not the gospel. Uh, that's like a, a little addendum to the gospel. Right. The gospel is about your life here and now and the transformation that can happen here and now. And so this book uh, that just came out this last month, uh, Reunion, is is presents kind of a, a kingdom gospel. And the beauty of, of who God is as he's revealed to be in Jesus Christ is is, uh, is is right there. Beautiful. Dr. Greg Boyd, I cannot thank you enough for an hour of your time. Seriously, I well, love... I appreciate the, the invitation, the chance to talk about it. Oh, my I goodness. I actually get very excited about this stuff. I know. That's what's so fun <laughs> is this This clearly is not just some academic thing for no, you. Oh, it... Everything hangs on this. This is so important. Yeah. So we are so so grateful for your time, man. Bless you. Thank you for the work you're doing, and uh, and thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, and, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We'll do it again sometime. All, All right. right. And Greg, lastly, can you just share a little bit about for our audience uh, where they can find you and what you got out there? Oh yes, yes. Uh, well, you can uh, find me at um, uh, renew.org, and that's renew with a K. R e k n e w dot org. Uh, I've got a lot of writings on there and things like that. I also am pastor at Woodland Hills Church. Yep. Um, and in in uh, Maplewood, Minnesota. And uh, finally, you can find me at. Uh, um, uh, oh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I, I don't know That's how to right. find me on Twitter though. Just look. Yeah. You'll you'll <laughs> know him. You'll know him when you see him. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> tell us about that little podcast that you've got going with uh, Dan. And by the way, hey, Dan, if Dan I, I've prayed if Dan ever gets hit by a bus, I'm available. Uh, to to help you, uh, I'm just saying that. Just saying Tell that. Tell me right that you're now. not praying that he gets hit by a bus so that you'll be able to take his job. That's probably. right. That <laughs> exactly. But yeah, you've got this. Is is that's an expression of renew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's part of our uh, renew team. He came up with the idea about uh, a year ago or so, I, I guess. And uh, it's a great idea how to you know just get a little 
apologies and explanations out there. And, and it yes, that's what it's called, right? Apologies and explanations. Right, and right. it's it's like anywhere from four to eight minute long answers to questions uh, that and you're getting. Most importantly, each episode opens with a little segment of a drum solo. Yes. Oh yeah, I, I've, I've loved that. That's been really that's been a lot. Is of fun. that is that you? Are these you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I just so want to make cool. sure. I just wanted to make sure. I didn't want to assume, because uh, I mean, I I mean, they're sounding pretty good. They sound great. Do you answer them from the drum set? So you go there oh. and then. <laughs> no, no, that's an idea. I should probably do that sometime. <laughs> if I don't have a good answer, I'll just start riffing on a on a drum beat or something. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Hey man, thanks again. Thanks Shelly for for working with us to set it up. But appreciate you so much. Peace out, man. God All right. Bless. Take care, guys. Bye bye. Holy moly. Now, now, kids, I told you on the front end, you had to have your, your thinking caps on today. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I've taken more notes on oh, a podcast than word. what we just experienced. So, yeah, this was, you know, to try to, try to finish his book and to, to digest it so I could ask intelligent questions. I mean, I've not prepped, like, I had to prep for this thing. But, um, like I said, I mean, there, there's always stuff to sift and sort, and this is, it's like with, with Rob, um, it's like with Greg, um, you know, we, we test everything and hold on to the good, but these are different ways of addressing, addressing similar issues, mm-hmm. um, around the, uh, the issues of the Bible. So, so, you know, we're, we're, our goal as always is to get the best, kind of the best thinking, the clearest stuff. And he's, he's just phenomenal. I mean, I really, I listen to his teachings, um, and uh and you know i've just been a fan um uh, of his even though you know there's stuff that he and i would disagree on mm-hmm. you know, and he is a lot smarter so <laughs> uh so anyway uh, we're just so grateful for uh for you to tune in and to listen we're grateful for your feedback and would love to know what you think of this yeah andy anything else you want to you want to end on yeah i mean i'm the one thing I think I'm going to walk away. From, there's a lot of things, but one thing I wrote down that I thought was super compelling to think about, and it's like you know, like I got to wrestle with sort through this. But you didn't cry. This I, time. I didn't cry because it kind of went the other way you around. You were crying on the inside. The, yes, the hydration of my eyes went to my heart, and I oh. felt like I was hydrating my soul. Mm. Um, and, but no, this the idea. I think if I if I'm summarizing it correctly, based on what he said, I mean. Um, this idea that God reveals our sinfulness while bearing it based on how we've led to perceive him through scripture, you know, and then Jesus right. is almost this corrective lens right. that kind of br- that, that recaptures the correct perception of how yep. he would be yep. like, that's such a fascinating way to look at the old Testament. I mean, and, right. and yeah, he, you mentioned like Pete ends on there of, of, and he even kind of referenced like, uh, we have to respect that there is this limited, more primal view of how people perceived God yeah. and or society at its time. And then God to like kind of let himself be taken over by that perception yeah. to then later reveal the completeness of that. No, that's still got issues. I mean, that's totally. still controversial. Because... And that's why I'm saying I got to sit on that. That's just that's, that's just it. so fascinating. Because what he does is he starts with the dismissal. He, I mean, he, he's starting there with a bit of the dismissal theory. And then going further with it. So he says like about Rob. Right. Rob doesn't go far enough. Yes. With it. And so, so yeah, I still wrestle with that. Like, okay, so we're still dealing with the Israelites' perception of God rather than divine command theory, which says, no, God actually said these things. Yeah. But, but like I said, I mean, this, these are very interesting ways of approaching these questions. 
and we think they're worthy of, of being heard and being wrestled with. And, mm-hmm. and uh, if, if you were able to follow this and you want the scholarly, I mean, background, I mean, go, go get the book. I mean, it's volumes one and two, and it's like footnoted beyond footnoted. Um, there's got to be over a thousand footnotes. And then, um, but, it, but if this was a bit tough to follow, listen to it again, wait for the popular book. Cause I, he does, a, he, he's one of the very few people who can write on both sides. I mean, he's written some really good popular stuff and written some academic stuff too. So anyway, um, we're, we're just thrilled to have him on and we're thrilled to kind of be in the middle of this conversation. So my brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace. Amen and amen. Until next time, my friends, thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.